0: Hey there, folks. Welcome back to Truth in a Thousand Words or Less. My name is Stephen Craig. I am the host and author of Truth in a Thousand Words or Less. So glad we could have you with us. Thank you for tuning in. It's me. You know, that means it's Thursday. So in any case, uh, what are we talking about this week? I swore I wasn't going to talk about it. Uh, and here here I am. I'm going to talk about it. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And and I say that with the understanding that we're not. I want to talk about the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard case only in regards to the larger implications. Um, and I say that because I, I, could, I could care less about Amber Heard or Johnny Depp. Um, and as a general whole, I could care less about the lives of celebrities. Um, and so I, I haven't watched. I'll start with this premise that I I'm going to talk about it. And I haven't watched any of the trial, uh, nor do I want to, uh, and uh, nor am I going to watch any of it. Um so, so what? What the hell are we going to talk about then? Well, the the fact is, is that as I was watching commentary on it, um, it, it one of the commentators I saw, and I actually I've su- subsequently seen this being asked by a number of people, is did did this case um, end the Me Too movement, or did it have any ramifications for the Me Too movement? And I I wanted to. Um, I wanted to try to address that question because I I don't believe that it ended the Me Too movement, um, but I do think that it inherently um, put some limitations on the Me Too movement. And I want to uh, I'm going to come. Uh, there are a couple of things that I, I want to talk about at the end of this. Uh, usually, I do a lot of the t- talking up front um, and then read the article, but in this case, I'm going to actually read the article and then discuss a couple of things about it afterwards. But I thought it was really imperative uh, up front to talk about the two subsegment, a, a certain subsegment of the Me Too movement, and that subsegment of the Me Too movement is the "Believe All Women" hashtag. And I believe that that if if we draw two, like we did a little Venn diagram, right, and we tried to parse out exactly where those two overlap, I believe that. If you draw a bigger circle, right, that bigger circle is going to be encompass the Me Too movement, and inside of that circle, contained within, fully contained within, is a subsegment of folks that are that would advocate for believe all women. And I think this article is talking about the fact that you can, on the one hand, very much support the Me Too movement. And have some real questions about the legitimacy of the believe all women uh, part of it uh, and that those two aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. And I think that that's essentially what I am where this article is trying to where I'm trying to drive this article is in the blurred lines between those two um, that we can on the one hand very much want to see the, the real positive change that has been evidenced by the Me Too movement and furthered by the Me Too movement and how unbelievably positive and important the Me Too movement has been, um, not just for women specifically, but for our society in general, it's been imperative for us. But at the same time, that there are some really uh, potentially dangerous ramifications of Believe All Women. And as I said, I'll I'll address that in the column itself. Um, But I I wanted to sort of put that as the outset of it. I think that to me is where the distinction that this column is trying to drive at. Um, And I think there's a lot to be learned. And I think in terms of um, I I think that the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp verdict speaks to uh, a lot of the distinction between those two. And with that, I give you <laughs> this week's co- I give you this week's truth in a thousand words or less called Did Amber Heard Just End the Me Too Movement? There is a significant part of me that cannot believe that I am going to write about this. I could really give two shits in a fig leaf about either Johnny Depp or Amber Heard, and as such, I have made a conscious effort to remain blithely ignorant of all things related to the absurdist theater that was their marriage. And it's inevitable design demise. Ow! It was only when my kids asked me about the trial, after hearing about it in various group chats, that I even knew that this was a defamation case initiated by Johnny Depp after Heard publicly aired allegations of physical and sexual abuse that damaged Depp's career. Now, to be honest, I never really gave a damn about the personal lives of celebrities and It would have seemed to me that Depp's career was much more likely undone by his cliched acting in the last couple installments of the Pirates of the Caribbean series and his hopelessly contrived broodiness in those vapid Dior commercials. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. I know, all of us want those things gone, right? But then I watched a commentator on the news asking if this verdict, in this case, signaled the end of the Me Too movement, and I just about lost my everlasting mind because this case should not and will not hamper the Me Too movement itself, but it does signal its inherent and necessary boundaries. Again, I will assert, assertively acknowledge that I watched absolutely none of the testimony in this trial and followed nothing of the public debate regarding the potential outcome. That said, what I can tell you is that defamation cases are incredibly difficult to argue and very rarely result in a victorious verdict for the plaintiff. The reason for this is that the legal burden is so unbelievably high with the plaintiff needing to demonstrate with a preponderance of the evidence, remembering that this is a civil, not a criminal case, three essential elements of the case. First, that the pub defendant publicly engaged in a series of false allegations regarding the plaintiff. Second, that the defendant knew these allegations were indeed false and spread this misinformation in order to do harm to the reputation of the plaintiff, and third, that these false allegations had material ramifications to the detriment of the plaintiff, especially in regards to their vocational capacity. The most difficult hurdle in most of these cases is, of course, proving that the defendant knew knew they were spreading false information about the plaintiff. So even though I may not have watched a minute of this cringe-worthy testimony, I have to say that if seven independent jurors all voted in favor of Depp in this case, I feel confident suggesting that they had more than ample reason to believe that Amber Heard was lying when she accused Depp of physical and sexual abuse and knew damn well that she was doing so. Which brings me back to the implications this case has for the Me Too movement. Now, I certainly hope that we can all agree that the Me Too movement has represented a much-needed exposure of the heinous acts of sexual abuse, intimidation, and harassment that women are subjected to on a routine basis. For far too long, women were told to keep their mouths shut as these insipid and cowardly crimes were swept under the rug by a criminal justice system that seemed intent on enabling the men who perpetrated them. But if anything, perhaps this jury's response to Amber Heard is an indication that the pendulum has swung too far in the other direction, and that there are indeed limitations on weaponizing accusations of sexual victimization. There are some supporters of the Me Too movement who push the credo that quote-unquote all women should be believed. But this flies in the face of the very principles upon which our criminal justice system is rooted. Yes, the Me Too movement has rightfully demanded that women finally be granted the equal protection of and accessibility to the law, meaning that they should always have a voice and be heard. And I'll explain at the end of this exactly what I mean by that. But that does not mean that they should always be believed. To uniformly believe any accuser's testimony without any scrutiny whatsoever is to undo the very notion of innocence until proven guilty that is the underpinning of American criminal trials. While we need to assure every potential victim of sexual assault that they will be given a fair and equitable hearing, we cannot simply reverse the criminal standard for burden of proof for one set of crimes without undoing the legitimacy of the entire court system itself. Believe it or not, some women lie about sexual assault. That does not take away from the vast preponderance of cases where women level legitimate accusations against the perpetrators of sexual assault or harassment. But it does mean that as with all criminal defendants, there must be a presumption of innocence for the accused and that the accuser must prove their allegations beyond a reasonable doubt. And by accuser, I I really mean the state here, right? The state is, in the case of a criminal case, it is the state which is the, um, the accuser. Of course, these crimes are horrifying and devastating, but so too is murder and countless other crimes where we have firmly established the beyond a reasonable doubt standard. We want to encourage the victims of these crimes to come forward and confront the men who have wronged them. But we also need to maintain the checks and balances that have been the backbone of our criminal justice system, so that the courts cannot simply become the weapon of undeserved vengeance. The verdict in this case suggests that there are indeed limits on accusations of sexual assault, primarily that those accusations must indeed be true. And that while women should always be heard, that there are repercussions for those who level false allegations. Should the uh, should the impact uh, should, <laughs> should this impact the Me Too movement or discourage the legitimate victims of sexual assault or harassment from coming forward? I certainly hope not, as these women need to know that they will be granted a voice by the justice system but it may just signal to those who would use the court system under false pretenses that you can't just shit on someone's life or their pillow and get away with it. Now that's the, that's the column for this week. I wanted to, you know, I had a, um, I read this column to my, um, to my girlfriend and we, we ended up having a really uh, interesting and powerful discussion and it led me to, uh, want to, uh, sort of delve into, um, two elements of this particular, um, two particular elements of this of this particular column. And, and the first of which is what do I mean by giving women uh, a, an equal an, an equal voice um, within the system and being made to sh- made sure that they are heard? And I think part of what I'm talking about when I say that women deserve to be heard is that women should be believed by the police or clinics that they go to to report, Um, and they should be treated by everyone in the system um, all the way through the court process itself. It's when we get to the criminal, when I say that we, we can't go with the assumption that women should be believed, I am reserving that for the actual court trials themselves. Everything leading up to there, from the way that they are, uh, their their interactions with the police or victim advocates, their interactions with the district attorney, all of those folks should start with the presumption that these folks are telling the truth and make it... um, It was interesting when I talked to my girlfriend about it, uh, I had made a comment that it should be easy for women to come forward. And I think that that statement... To her, meant, oh, it like women, it shouldn't be hard. Like women, it's not hard for women to come forward. That's not what I meant at all. It is really hard. It is really hard for a person who is the victim of sexual assault, harassment, intimidation. It is incredibly hard for these folks to come forward. And as such, the system needs to do everything within its capacity to make it as easy as possible for women to come forward. That's what I mean by it should be easy for women. I don't mean that it is. I mean it could, because it's so personally difficult. The system needs to do everything it can to make it easy for women, and that's where women should be believed in that part of the process. Women should be believed by when they go to when they go to a health clinic to report that abuse. When they go to the police officer, right, and the police uh, department to root. Re- those crimes when they then meet with the district attorney in regards to the uh, criminal charges that will be brought forth along all of the process that's where women should be believed but when when we get to a criminal trial we have to reserve that right that the accused regardless of what crime whether it be sexual assault whether it be murder whether it be embezzlement it doesn't matter Our criminal justice system rests upon the idea of innocent until proven guilty. And at that point, we need to have more scrutiny than to simply say all women should be believed. Because if we get to that standard for just that set of crimes, not only are we undoing the entire criminal justice system, but we are setting ourselves up for the idea of women weaponizing, right, and misusing, which not only undermines The women who are the real victims, but also obviously undermines men who have not perpetrated those crimes, but find themselves as the victims themselves of false accusations. The second part of this that I wanted to make a distinction about, and I think it's fairly important, is the difference between civil and criminal trials and the two burdens of proof. And and if you know in a civil trial, um, because it's too um, the state is not involved and it's not uh, criminal charges, in a civil case, uh, such as uh, was the case in a defamation suit between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, the standard of evidence, um, the right, the hurdle that you need to get over, um, the burden of proof, if you will, is much different in a civil trial versus a criminal. In a civil trial, it's a preponderance of the evidence. In other words, 50-50. You got to get to in order for the in order for you to prevail, either side, you have to get to I believe you 51% versus 49%. It can really be that close. Um it does not have to be the much higher standard which it is for a criminal case, which is beyond a reasonable doubt. And I think part of what makes this column difficult to write about is to some degree or another you're conflating those two standards on the one hand i'm talking about uh amber heard and johnny depp which was a civil trial and yet i'm using it to talk about the me too movement which generally revolves around um criminal trials when you're talking about most people who are the victims of sexual assault it's not usually doesn't end in a uh it's certainly sexual harassment um people who are fired from their jobs uh can certainly um certainly uh you know, uh, have, you know, file, um, lawsuits, which would be torts, uh, you know, and, and claims of sexual harassment that then become a civil case, but a significant, a, a significant majority of sexual assault cases are criminal. And there, that's where I'm talking about that notion of, uh, where we got to the idea of, um, the it, it presumed innocent, right? That's where the standard is much higher because we're potentially taking away someone's freedom, sending them to jail, taking away really their freedom in their life. And so that standard, when we talk about a criminal case within the Me Too movement um, and within people uh, reporting sexual assault, that's where that standard of uh, beyond a reasonable doubt Right. That's a, that's a really high standard that we've set for criminal cases, right? That's why, um, you know, DAs, uh, DAs know this. They have a tough job. You know, when they go to, when they go to trial, the burden's on them. It is not on the, the burden is not on uh, the defendant, right? The defendant has, uh, is presumed innocent um, and the it is upon it is uh, the onus of the of the prosecutor to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, and so I just wanted to clarify those. I do think that that's a um, important distinction between those two, and uh, and certainly highlights uh, a big part of what we're talking about. In any case, um, enough mumbo legal mumbo jumbo. Let's uh, let's get out of here with our favorite boy, John Mayer. Uh, thank you all for tuning in to yet another episode of the of Truth in a Thousand Words or Less. My name is Stephen Craig, host and author of Truth in a Thousand Words or Less. Uh, you probably know where you can find us. I mean, you, you found us here, uh, so you know how to find the podcast. Thank you for doing so. Uh, if you want to check us out in written format, uh, I always love the written format. Uh, you can find us at our website, www.waitingfortoday.com. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook On Instagram uh, Where the hell else Pretty much yeah, Everywhere but, uh, but you know Go to the website Waitingfortoday.com We appreciate it We love y'all Thank you very much I'll be back here next Thursday Until then Have a great week y'all Peace out Ain't no changing